Well, as I mentioned, we're continuing our series on relationships, and tonight we're looking at something that I think, believe really is vital for the health of any relationship, and uh, that is the topic of forgiveness. Uh, for many of us, forgiveness will be a, a very difficult subject, and I just want to say that out front because some of us have experienced such um, incredible pain at the hands of other people. Uh, and maybe not in a personal way, you might have just had a really, really rough life, and you don't even know how to forgive. Uh, and so I realized that from the outset, and so I just want to say that uh, from the very beginning, because a lot of you all have stories that I uh, cannot relate with, and um, I don't want to come across as being insincere or being insensitive in any way uh, to your lot. But let's start with a story. Uh, for, many of you might know the author the Dutch woman who has long since passed, her name was Corrie ten Boom. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she uh, tells the story of, a, of um, coming face to face with one of her captors. She was captured in the Second World War for harboring Jewish people. The Nazis captured her, put her under arrest, put her in a concentration camp at a camp called Ravensbrück. And while at Ravensbrück, she was submitted there to horrible... Uh, Horrible treatment by a guard. Well, years later, after she was released, she went back and spoke in her native land of the Netherlands and Holland. And as she was speaking, one of the guards that she was talking about in her talk was there. And I just want to read what she writes. She says, The man came up to her and he says this, and now I begin to read. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard in there. She says, he did not remember her, meaning meaning Ten Boom. But since that time, I have become a Christian, the man said. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein, which is just a German term of endearment. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? Well, Ten Boom goes on to describe this as being one of the most difficult moments in her entire life. Why? Because she, like all of us, know what it's like to deal with the hurt that is caused from other people. Listen, how do you deal with tension and friction and all sorts of problems in your relationships? What do you do with them? I mean, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your roommates... How do you handle the problems? I want to suggest to you there's actually a couple of different ways that we can get into this. First of all, it's what I like to call push it down. Now, I steal, I steal this from uh, the absolute cinematic uh, marvel that was known as Talladega Nights, the legend of uh, Ricky Bobby. And so if you know Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr., his racing partner, then uh, you're going to know this scene that I'm about to read to you. Cal is his sidekick, and Ricky has just won the race because Cal Naughton Jr. has just slingshotted him around to, uh, to win. In case you don't know what that means, he was drafting, and he gets to pull ahead, and Ricky wins and that sort of deal. But listen to what uh, Ricky and Cal's conversation is like after the, uh, after the race. Cal says, you know, I, I was thinking, though, one time uh, it'd be really awesome if, if like, you could slingshot me in for a win. And Ricky says, yeah, but, okay, but if you won, how am I going to win? Cal says, yeah, well, think about it. Cal says, no, I, I, I was thinking about it. 
And Ricky said, I mean, it's not like you're finishing 18th. Cal says, nothing wrong with silver. And Ricky says, nothing wrong with silver at all. Cal says, I'm just kidding with you, man. I don't want to win. I'll just bury it down inside. (laughs) Ricky says, bury it down deep and never bring it up again. And Cal says, it's painful. And I love you. We bury it. We bury it. But the problem with burying it, right, is that it denies that there's really a problem. And moreover, we know what all happens if we bury things long enough, right? They eventually come to the surface in ways that we could have never imagined, creating all sorts of relational havoc. We bury it. Secondly, there's another strategy as well. We contend to pay it forward. Um, I can remember a, a time when I was in high school and uh, our rival high school uh, at the time had come over, this was during football season, our, our football rival came over to our school and they spray painted our buses with their letters all over the inside and outside of the buses. Now, what they didn't know is they were, defa- I went to public school, they were defacing public property, but nevertheless, I remember our students took that as a major affront. And so what did we do? We turned it around the next year and one-upped them. So what happened? Well, a group of our students went over to their field on a maybe Monday or Tuesday night and poured in massive letters, our school letters, in weed killer or grass killer in the middle of their field so that nobody knew anything about it until about Friday night. There was a major FHS in dead grass in the middle of their playing field. Paying it forward. One-upping. This is a strategy that you see throughout the world. You did wrong to me, and I'll get you back. Revenge is what we call it. But the problem is, in theory, the pain never ends. The cycle never stops. Whereas burying, the pro- burying it denies a problem, this strategy actually names it, but makes the other person pay for it. Paying it forward. Paying it forward in a negative way. What do you do with the tension the friction, and all of the problems in your relationships. Are you a barrier or do you pay it forward? I want to suggest to you tonight that there's a beautiful, magnificent, compelling third way that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 18, verse 21 and following. And we're going to take a look at that tonight. He shows us a better way, a way of finding restoration, and it's called forgiveness. Forgiveness is the antidote for the brokenness in our relationships. So we want to look tonight at the importance of this real forgiveness that Jesus is talking about. And I want to make a bold, bold claim tonight. I want to say this, that without forgiveness, relationships cannot exist. They cannot exist. We'll see why, but it has to do with this, that all of us are broken sinners and we will hurt other people even when we don't mean to. And unless you're able to forgive that person, the relationship will be done. We've got to find a way to to do this. And so tonight we're going to look at uh, three headings. What forgiveness is, how forgiveness comes to us, and then lastly, how we know that we have got it. What it is how it comes to us, and how we know we have got it. Let's take a look there at the first little heading there. What is it or what it is? And I want to show you there in verse 21 and 27, 32 and 35, you see this idea of forgiveness 
coming up. Now, um, let's take a, le- a little bit of what's going on in the text. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, has come to Jesus and he has said this, Hey, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? Is it seven times? Now, what you and I don't know is Peter was being incredibly generous because the rabbis of the day said, you need to forgive somebody three times. And so Peter doubles it and adds one as a way to sort of impress Jesus at how forgiving he is. What's amazing is Jesus looks at him and says, no, Peter, not seven times. I tell you 70 times seven times. And then he goes on and he says, I want you to know, therefore, that the kingdom of heaven really is like this. And he tells the story, really, of three men. There's the man that we would call the king. And the king owes, has an incredible estate. And one of his workers, we hear about, um, has uh, money that he owes this king. And the king calls accounts. He's basically calling his debts. He's saying, for all of you that owe me money, it's time to pay up. Okay? And so the man comes and he says, uh, basically, what do I owe? And the guys, and then in the story, Jesus tells us that the man owes him 10,000 talents. Now, what in the world is a talent? Well, I want to let you know that uh, a talent in biblical language was about 20 years wages. Okay? So 20 years wages. Let's say, let's say that's half of your working life if you start working at 25. Okay? So let's just say that you, uh, you, know, you can do the math on that. Let's say if you were making a generous salary of, say, $100,000 a year, one talent was 20 years work. This man owes him... 10,000 talents. The point of the illustration is to show you that this is an inestimable, incredible debt, a debt that no one could possibly repay. And the king, seeing that, has mercy on that man and says, I will forgive you that debt. Later on, that same man goes out and finds a man who, in relative terms, owes him pocket change. And so what he does when he finds the man that owes him a few quarters relatively, he says, I want you to pay up. And in fact, he throws that second man into jail until he can pay it. Well, the first man's friends hear about it. They're disgusted. They go back to the king and say, you're never going to believe what happened. The king finds out and he says, listen, I want you, will, you will be thrown in the, into, the, into the cells yourself until you have paid back every last bit of that. What in the world is Jesus teaching? He is teaching about the principle of forgiveness and how it comes to us and how we know we have it. So, as we look at what it is, I needed to highlight a little bit about what was going on in the text. What is this forgiveness? Here is what forgiveness is at its core. It literally means to let go of guilt against you. That's what it means. It means to let go of guilt that is against you. In other words, it's to not hold the guilt of another person against them anymore. Now, I'm going to talk about what it is, but I'm also going to name later what it's not. But I want you to begin to see that what lies at the heart of forgiveness is not is not forgetting uh, the, the event itself or the offense that has happened. But what it is, is to not hold the guilt or the debt against the other person for that wrongdoing. That is huge, as we'll see. We can think of it also like this. That uh, forgiveness is a commitment to not make the other person pay. We'll see that in just a second. But 
Let me also highlight what forgiveness is not. A lot of us sort of think that uh, forgiveness is what Cal Naughton Jr. did. That we just deny it. We just bury it. We just say, hey, it's no big deal. There's not really been an offense. I'm okay, you're okay, and we're good. And so we just bury it. And others of us think, well, if I can just... Here's what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is really telling people off. And once I've done that, then then that's really what forgiveness is. Well, the Bible is going to say that's not the case at all. That to forgive has nothing to do with you speaking your mind. You know? I know a lot of us, I know I can be like this, that we can think, hey, if I just tell somebody what I really feel, uh, that's how forgiveness is going to be had. I've got to get it out there. Well, the Bible is going to say in the book of Proverbs that, uh, that you know what it is to, uh, uh, to speak your mind like that? It's actually called foolishness. The Proverbs say that a fool gives full vent to his spirit. So that's not what forgiveness is about. Also, forgiveness, listen, y'all, is not forgetting. The Bible nowhere says that we are to forgive and forget. That's actually impossible. It, it can't happen. And so when the Bible says we are to forgive, what is at the heart of forgiveness, like I said, is to forgive the guilt the debt that somebody has incurred against you, you don't hold that against them anymore. But you do not forget the event. If somebody has hurt you, God is not saying, erase that from your memory. Do a memory swipe. That's not possible. And somebody says, oh, no, 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 no. what about what God does? Because doesn't He say in the book of Jeremiah that He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west from us and He remembers them no more? Doesn't God forget our sins? No, that's not what the Bible means. It's not like God develops amnesia all of a sudden, okay? What he's saying is is that he will not remember those sins against us anymore. That to forgive is to not hold the debt against. Obviously, um, it it would not be, therefore, this idea of paying forward that we spoke about earlier. You see, forgiveness says there actually is a real offense that something wrong really has happened, and it names it. But what happens is, is that you, if, the, if you are the offended, you make the commitment to not make the offender pay for it. And that raises an interesting question. Because if the offender is not going to incur the cost, guess who is? You. You will. Here's what I mean. Think about it like this. My daughter, uh, Evangeline, uh, when she was way younger, had grabbed my sunglasses and broken them. They were cheap anyways. I just buy gas station sunglasses anyways. It cost me 10 bucks or something like that because I know stuff like that's going to happen to them. But here's what's really important. Um, I want you to know that the value of those sunglasses, let's call it 10 bucks, when they were broken, uh, I now, uh, if I want to replace them, I can either make my daughter pay, which she doesn't have 10 bucks, or, or what? what? If I want another pair of sunglasses, what's going to happen? i got to go pay for a new pair, right? So I am incurring the debt. Moreover, I could go without them, but then again, that is me incurring the debt of the loss of the thing. And I want you to see that when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it always has that in mind. It has you incurring the debt. Here's what I mean to say. 
Forgiveness is always very costly. But it's not the offender that's paying. It's you paying the debt. Do you conceive of forgiveness that way? That's what the man in the parable does. The king assumes the debt. The king assumes the man's debt. And, I, that's, and it's what irks him later on when he doesn't do that for his fellow man. Look, I just want you to see that forgiveness is like that. The idea of not making someone else pay. Now, hang with me on this. Somebody might be saying, well, wait a second here, Ryan. What about offering forgiveness? Isn't somebody supposed to say they're sorry first? Isn't somebody supposed to say that they repent? That's what the Bible says. You can go to Luke chapter 17. If somebody repents, forgive them. Well, I want to suggest to you that the Bible also says this in Mark 11, that and when you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against you or against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Look, I want to suggest to you tonight that what the Bible says is that somebody saying they're sorry or asking for forgiveness is not the grounds for you to forgive. And that's steep. That's steep. In fact, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, do you know what you're actually praying? For those of you that are familiar with it, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the phrase? It says this, Forgive us our sins, or forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses. Then what's that nasty next little word? As we forgive others. You're actually praying every time you say that. God, forgive me in the same way as I forgive other people. Whoa. Whoa. That's what's going on here. That's what needs to be made aware of. And that's what I want you to see. Can reconciliation happen? Absolutely. That's another sermon for another time. Reconciliation is good. Reconciliation does take repentance. But I don't think that forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. We can talk about that later over one-on-one if you'd like to. But I want to keep moving. I want to take a look secondly at this idea then of what it is. But then secondly, how do we get it? Or how does it come to us? And I want you to see that look at verse 27 and there is everything in that verse. Verse 27 says this, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That word pity there literally is, have you ever been so moved for compassion for somebody that it kicks you in the gut? That you you belly ache for somebody because you have so much pity and compassion. I don't mean you're looking down on them. No, I'm saying you see somebody in a plight your heart breaks for them and you feel it in your tummy. That's the exact language of what's going on here. That The king has mercy and compassion on this man. And that is everything, y'all. Because what it means is that, compa- that, that forgiveness comes to us on the basis of God's great mercy, compassion, and care for us. And if that's the case, y'all, listen... That means that it doesn't have anything to do with us. And that is utterly freeing. Because here's why. Most of us think, if I can just be a good enough person, if I can just clean up my act well enough, if I can just stay away from all the bad things, if I'll quit getting wasted, if I'll quit hooking up with people, if I can finally treat people right, then God will have something to do with me. If I can stay away from the bad stuff, 
and do all the right things, then God will finally forgive me. Listen. That's as silly as this man saying this in verse 26. Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. Bro, you don't have enough lives to pay back 20,000 uh, 20, or whatever, 10,000 talents. You don't have enough life pulsing through your veins to make that happen. It's silly. It's ludicrous. And it's the same thing when you and me come to God and say, God, I'll show you how worthy I am of your forgiveness. Look at my moral performance. Look at my record. Look how squeaky clean I'm trying to be. And God says, eh, sorry. Forgiveness comes to you on the basis, God says, of my great mercy. Of my great mercy. In Romans chapter 2, we hear this. Paul says this. That it's the Lord's kindness that leads to repentance. Do you believe that? You see, most of us think this. That if I change, God will love me. We actually think that. And there are Christians out there who believe that. And I want to say it's wrong. It's just, it's just against the Bible. Here's what the Scriptures say. It's the Lord's kindness that drives you to change. It's His mercy, His love, His compassion that's the fuel for any sort of change in your life. So what that means is, is this. Come. As messy and as rotten and as jacked up as you are, come to Jesus. Don't try to clean up. Get your bottom here. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that does it in the midst of His great mercy. Think about it like this. The writer, singer, songwriter, activist Bono from U2, he says this. He says, what lies at the very heart of the universe is the idea of karma. That what goes around comes around. If you do good, good will come to you. If you do bad, bad will come to you. And he says, that's the sort of operating principle that we think of in the universe. But he says, it's not what Christianity is about. He says this. He says, um, he says that grace comes along. And it utterly disrupts things because it gives you what you don't deserve. And you're not given what you do deserve. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. This man, he, he deserved to be thrown in the barracks. To not be forgiven. That's what the heart of forgiveness is. Is that it comes by free mercy and by free grace. And I just want you to begin to see tonight that how forgiveness comes to us is not because of our is not because of us. It's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our badness. It's all rooted in the very tender mercies of God in Christ. That's how forgiveness comes to you. And that ought to be really good news to you tonight. But there's more. There's more. How do you know? How do you know that you actually have it? And that jumps us into our last little point here. I'll spend some time talking about this. How do you know that you've actually received forgiveness? Let's go back to our story from the text. What happens? The man is forgiven. That first man is forgiven. And he finds a fellow servant, fellow man, and he locks him up. And the king, the, the, the owner of the, of the land says, this is ludicrous. What's going on? Here is what he is saying. He's saying, you ought to remember, first man, that I have forgiven you a massive debt. 
And therefore, you should turn around and be that sort of person that relates in that way. The man doesn't do it. And what Jesus is telling us is this, is how do you know? How do you know that you have received forgiveness? The Bible is saying this, that you become a forgiving person. That you will know that you have received forgiveness by the way that you extend forgiveness to other people. Now, it's quite troubling, isn't it? Because there's all of us have times in, life, in our life where we look around and we go, I just can't forgive that person. And I want to say, why? What lies at the bottom of that? The Scriptures are going to say is that you do not see how much you yourself have really been forgiven. You see, you're not seeing how great of a debt you have incurred against God. You're downplaying your sins, so to speak. You don't think that you're that bad. You think that what other people do against you is way worse than what you have done against God. And this text is saying us that that can't be the case. In other words, a great question for you tonight is, do you see that whatever somebody does or harbors or does against you, that God, that what you have done against to God is infinitely worse? I know I don't. I know I need help in seeing and being reminded of that. But that's what this is saying. Listen, I want you to see that um, forgiveness is radical in what it does to us. In one chapter, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus says this. He's, He's just met and He's just had this amazing encounter with a prostitute. She has, un, she has let down her hair with her tears. She has just washed Jesus' feet. And he says to the bunch of religious folk around him, he says, look at her. Look at her. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Jesus is saying it there too. In the 80s and 90s, a man by the name of Gary Ridgway killed over 48 women. He was known as the Green River Killer. And at his trial, he pled guilty to all, every single one of his murders. And while he was being sentenced, every single one of the family members of those that he had killed got to stand up and express and to say to Gary what they wanted to say. And person after person just spat vitriol, their anger which is justified at the loss of their loved ones. And he sat there, stone cold, no emotion, none. Until one man by the name of Robert Rule stood up in rainbow suspenders. And he says this, Mr. Ridgway, you have made it hard for me to do what God tells me to do. But I want you to know that I forgive you. And immediately, Ridgway breaks down in utter tears because he has seen what forgiveness can do. And I just want to say this, where do you think Robert Rule, what led him do that? It's because he knew deep down his own sin before the Lord and how God in Christ had forgiven him. 
Now, I want you to see that if you want your relationships to go, to last, to have legs on them, to have years of fruitfulness and enjoyment with other people, you have got to begin to see that forgiveness is paramount. It's paramount. I know in my marriage with Laura, I asked long ago that God would give me a woman who would forgive. That says a lot about me. When I was dating her, I said, I, I need to know that I'm about to marry somebody that can, really, that, that, that can forgive. Because I know I'm so screwed up. And I'm going to need a lot of it over the course of our lives together. Thankfully, Laura is one of the most forgiving women that I've ever met. But I just want to ask you, are you conceiving of relating to people in that way for the health of the relationships? Forgiveness is hard. I am not saying tonight that it is easy. No, I'm actually saying the opposite. I'm saying that forgiveness is costly because you're not paying the debt. The hand remained outstretched. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day had to be forgiven, and I could not. And I still stood there with the coldness clutching the heart. But forgiveness is not, listen, is not an emotion. It is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus help me, Den Boom prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all of my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love for me so intensely as I did then. I want you to see on the cross that Jesus is basically doing this. I'm taking the debt. I'm not making you pay. I'm paying I'm doing that. I'm doing that for you. Because I love you that much. Because I want restoration. And I want peace between us. That infinite debt against an incredibly, infinitely holy God stood on His shoulders. Him shouldering it all. And Him paying for it with His last breath. That's what He does for you. That's what's called the Gospel. And it's for you tonight. Do you want it? Believe it. If you're in Christ, you stand now as utterly and entirely forgiven. This is good news. Let's pray.